Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there. This is Dee, and welcome to episode 71 of the Benzo Free Podcast. So glad you're here. I feel like I was just here. Of course, that was a anxiety video. <laughs> it's been a month now since we've done a podcast video, so it's it's time. Oh, things around here have been crazy. Um, but then again, when aren't they? Got a new symptom. A little bit of TMJ, uh, the jaw-popping stuff. Not too bad, but does scare me a little bit. Worried. I looked it up. I researched it. <laughs> I know it is a common symptom for many of you, and some of you have already experienced that one. But the good news now is that I've been at this for so long. New symptoms don't... The, the worry of new symptoms doesn't stick with me long. Not very long. And that's good. I adjust and I realize it will come and it will go on its own and to try to move past it as I can. So I'm, I'm doing some things to help alleviate that and hopefully it will ease on its own. I'm going to keep this intro pretty short because our feature today is mostly me rambling on. It's some, some Benzo morning thoughts from a recent trip to Kansas City. It's kind of become a tradition here on the podcast to do those when I go on trips. And I've heard from many of you that you've enjoyed that, just the raw honesty, the, the anxiety I'm dealing with, the fear, and various musings that, you know, hit me as we're doing that. So that's our topic. I hope you like it. I think there's some interesting subject matters we'll address, and I, I think you, I think it will connect with um, several of you. Been um, noticing also one more thing that, been noticing my social awkwardness. Um, I don't know if this is one of those learning deficits that Ashton talks about, but, or if it's just my nerves that still aren't adjusted and don't figure out, but I'm, I'm not as calm and confident, for sure not as confident in social situations as I used to be. I used to be able to walk into any social situation. I know for many of you this sounds foreign, but for me, I was pretty comfortable in any group. I could talk to any group. I could, like I've said before, speak in front of a thousand people without really breaking a sweat. It's just something I was comfortable doing. And if there were people at a party or something, I'd just go up and start talking to them. I wasn't always like that, but I got more comfortable as it went along. But that 
ability has definitely taken a hit during my withdrawal. I don't have the confidence I used to here talking to you on the camera or on the audio podcast or wherever. It's different. And I think still if I was talking to a group of people in a classroom setting, I'm going to have some anxiety, maybe more than I used to, but I still can kind of do that. But having conversations in social settings, I don't have the confidence I used to. I don't have the confidence I used to. I think it'll come back. I think it is coming back, but it's one of those things I noticed, and I just wanted to share that with you. Um, like I said, I'm going to keep the intro short, so let's cut it there. I'm going to mention our closing bits for the intro, and we'll move right on. Um, today, our format does include our introduction, mailbag, benzo story, and our feature, and our moment of peace. So it's got a full slate today. Our feature is going to be um, benzo thoughts from the road, benzo mornings. I don't even know what I wound up calling it, but something like that. And before we move on, I do want to cover just a few things here. Um, we need feedback of any kind. You know, I always love to hear from you. You can do this in one of four ways. One, you can comment directly on our YouTube channel. Or you can comment on one of our podcast posts on our website through our feedback form at easinganxiety.com feedback or on one of our podcast carriers so others can find us. Don't forget to subscribe to our email newsletter at easinganxiety.com subscribe. And if you wish to help us out financially and donate to the work we're doing here, you could do so at easinganxiety.com slash donate. Trust me, every little bit does help. It really does. And don't forget the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. Let's move on to our mailbag. We have one question today, and it is from Chris in Melbourne, Australia, way down under. Thank you, Chris, for this question. He wrote the following. I have a bit of a question that hasn't been covered in the episodes that I have listened to, but it does come up often on Benzo Buddies. Hypochondria. It seems to be mega common, and most people seem to second-guess their symptoms given they can mimic many other conditions. Do you have any advice on how to balance between, obviously, working with your doctor to be sure of no other sinister causes, and avoiding getting to a point of spiraling into despair over every symptom and sensation and catastrophizing? My doctor is absolutely fed up with me coming in with harebrained ideas on my latest self-diagnosis, as are every other doctor in the town I live. It seems funny. But it is exhausting panicking over every symptom, every twitch, every feeling of weakness. Rationally, I know it is benzo withdrawal, but it feels like the brain goes into autopilot in this case. Aware you can't give medical advice, mainly after your thoughts on if you've ever managed this yourself. And feel free to share this as a question. And paraphrase to avoid my rambling if you like. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Um, I love that you said rambling. Um, as you know, that's one of my favorite things. And in this um, episode, there's going to be a little rambling. Chris was also kind enough to send his story to us, which is in the queue, and it will be on one of the upcoming podcasts. But thanks, Chris. Great question. Um, one I definitely want to respond to. 
I have um, actually spoken about our questioning symptoms um, several times in podcasts in the past, but maybe not specifically as hypochondria. So I understand why you might not be able to find it if you look back through past episodes. But this is definitely something that's very common and something we should address specifically as hypochondria. I think I haven't used the term per se because hypochondria to me as actually is a mental disorder. And I don't believe we're suffering from that specifically. It's actually, I think it's a normal reaction to what we're going through. And that is the average person's response to benzo withdrawal. <laughs> but it is crazy. Um, in fact, when I wrote my book, Benzo Free, I wrote it in a Q&A style, a question and answer style. And I said in the book, the reason I did that is because we have so many questions, so many questions. And probably half those are about our symptoms. The, the biggest problem here is that one of the primary symptoms is anxiety and fear. And that anxiety and fear escalates, of course, our questions and our fear about our symptoms. Always thinking it's something else. Always thinking it's something worse. Always thinking there's something else going on here. And so we go get checked out. I did this. I did this many times. I've said before, I've had, I think, five or six EKGs during my withdrawal. Um, all were benign. All were fine. I have gone to, I think, 10 to 15 different specialists during my withdrawal. I was even prescribed fluoroquinolones for a prostate problem, which turned out to be pelvic floor dysfunction, which was a symptom. And of course, those... <laughs> Quinolones probably created neuropathy, which added to my withdrawal. It's crazy. It's crazy. Education is paramount here. Go to the Ashton Manual, read it, know it, understand it. Work with um, other people. Um, listen to the podcast. Go to other sites like BIC, The Alliance. Get help from Benzo Buddies. Get help from different sources. And understand what the possible symptoms are. And yes, the list is huge. It's huge. Can we get symptoms during benzo withdrawal that aren't benzo related? Of course. We're human and we're going to have other problems that happen. That's why it's good to get them checked out. But once you get them checked out, it's really important to let it lie. As best as you can. It's not easy. But to trust that the doctor did the test right and that... They're not missing something, or maybe it wasn't done properly, or maybe this time it really is this, or maybe, the, you know, we just can't seem to stop that cycle of rumination. And it becomes obsession after a while. I know, I did it, I do it, I'm still doing it sometimes. I get it. It's a great question, Chris. I really appreciate the one on hypochondria. And you know what? Let's put that out there as a... Um, topic for a feature. I think it's a great idea, and I think we'll have to put one out there on hypochondria. And we'll talk more as we get into um, other things. But thank you for that one. Um, I wish I could tell you how to deal with your doctors on this. I know it's hard. I think the best thing is to be honest, help them understand what you're going through, bring them the literature, tell them that it's a neurological, it's neurological damage, and thus all these symptoms are possible because our our system is, you know, 
trying to regroup, trying to heal itself. Anyway, I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you so much for your question. Let's let's move on to our benzo story. We have one story today. Story today. Ah, my voice cracked there. <laughs> we have one story today. As you can tell, I'm leaving in a few of the flaws today since this one's a little bit more raw, so I'm not going to edit some of these out. But Anyway, we have one story today from Kim in California. She sent me her story in May of this year. Um, sorry, it took me a little bit to get on the podcast. We took a hiatus. Everything was backlogged. I have still probably two or three stories, I think, coming down to come out, but always still want to want to have more, always want more. So, But it's a story many of you will find familiar and one um, where she can see the light at the end. So I think it has a positive, a positive vibe. Kim writes the following. Probably like everyone else, my story has to do with taking my prescribed medication, diazepam, on an as-needed basis. I was prescribed 5 milligram diazepam after a vertigo episode in 1994. I only took it once as it made me too sleepy. However, I continue to have residual motion sensitivity issues off and on over the years. After another vertigo episode in 2011, I again was prescribed diazepam, which I took 1.25 to 2.5 milligrams a day, probably the equivalent of one to two times a month. Some months I didn't need to take it at all, but I still had motion sensitivity and have only been able to drive around town. I had all kinds of imaging tests and many doctors, but to no avail as far as a diagnosis. I am a 64-year-old female that has never smoked, don't drink alcohol or caffeine, never done recreational drugs, and don't even have pierced ears. Anyway, I, I live on the central coast of California and have to rely on family if I need to go on the freeway. Plane travel was uncomfortable. Due to the anxiety and thinking, I may get vertigo. So, I opted for Amtrak travel over the years. In August 2018, after a train trip, I really began to have persistent dizziness problems, which affected work, as I would need to visit the restroom a lot, plus the dizzy feeling. More doctor visits, and then diazepam prescribed again. I took 1.25 to 2.5 milligrams almost daily for a month or so then daily for a few months, when I began to have lots of odd symptoms. The doctors ordered more imaging, gastro tests, etc., all not finding anything, except to say maybe I'm suffering from anxiety and I should see a psychiatrist. I was offended, but went to see one. And all he did was prescribe more meds, which I tried for a few days but made matters worse. Then the light bulb went on, and I googled diazepam symptoms and down the rabbit hole of articles, etc. Some pretty scary stuff. But I found Bick and the Ashton Manual. Fast forward to today, I was finally diagnosed on April 2019 by a neuro neuroautologist in Los Angeles, a condition called PPPD, Persistent Postural Perceptual 
dizziness. I also told him I wanted off the diazepam because I felt many of the symptoms were from the medication on top of the symptoms from the PPPD. He was agreeable and has been very supportive. I started liquid tapering from 2.5 milligrams of diazepam in July 2019 and presently am at 0.5 milligram. It has not been pleasant at all. I had to go on disability from work and stay at my mom's house. Fortunately, she is in excellent health. I truly don't know how people can get through these symptoms without someone to be around them. I've had most of the symptoms described by Dr. Ashton, Dr. Huff, yourself, and others. I have had more and more good days, but still feel off a lot. I initially lost nearly 30 pounds, but have since gained back about 15. I'm 5'8 and now weigh 105. I eat well, exercise mildly, get fresh air daily, and do physical therapy vestibular rehabilitation exercises for the PPPD. Most of the time, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I guess getting towards the end of the taper, I get an uptick in symptoms, which is discouraging. Listening to your podcasts and reading Dr. Huff's recent article give me hope again. Thank you, Kim. Um, oh, thank you, Kim. I'm so sorry this happened to you. But it sounds like you are on a good track for um, healing and recovery. Kim also closed out her story by asking if she should taper all the way down to zero. Um, basically, when should you jump, which is a question we get a lot. I do get that question often, and it is very individual. I think you need to decide what's most comfortable for you. If you keep wanting to taper down to get lower and lower, um, you can, and that's okay. But also, as Ashton says, once you get down to less than 0 0.5, 0 0.25, 0 0.2, whatever, diazepam, then maybe it's time to take that final jump. Remember, that's of diazepam and not the same number for other medications like Clonopin, um, Ativan, Xanax. Those are much higher doses, so a quarter wouldn't be the same to jump from. Oh... Um, Kim did email me about a month later with an update, and she was still tapering. Um, that was in June, so hopefully she's found a way to finally jump and do her last dose and get, get better. She mentioned Dr. Huff, um, Dr. Christy Huff, amazing, um, and also one of the kindest, nicest people you've ever met. So if you haven't had a chance to read some of her articles, go over to BIC's website. That's the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. They're at benzoinfo.com and read some of the blog articles there, especially by Christy Huff and by um, Nicole and by JC. Some real good input there, um, good resources. The bathroom issues, um, she refers to bathroom issues in this, Kim, Kim does. And boy, as anybody who's listened to the podcast for a while knows, I can relate there. That's an ongoing struggle for me with pelvic floor dysfunction and other things. I also want to just mention briefly about the vertigo and dizziness issue. Um, this is one that I had when I was on clonazepam, when I was on regular dosage and everything. And I thought it was due to vestibular labyrinthitis, which is an inner ear infection from a long time ago, and that it was lingering or whatever. It wasn't until I withdrew 
from benzos that I realized my dizziness and my vertigo was a side effect of the medication. That's one of those ones that actually went away when I started to taper. So these are common symptoms. Um, and don't forget, there are symptoms when you are using the drugs. Whether you've reached tolerance or not, there can be side effects. And if you reach tolerance, you can always be going through, you can already be going through withdrawal. So it's important to notice that, to be aware of your symptoms, to not overthink them, but to be aware of them and realize what their source may be. Oh, thank you, Kim. I'm glad that you are having a positive outlook now. I would love to hear more from you. Let me know how you're doing. Um, and thanks for sharing your story today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And um, don't forget, I do still need stories. Please feel free to send them to me. I would love to have more stories. Not only am I sharing them on the podcast, as I have been now for a year and a half, but I have started adding stories to the website that will be up and running here in a couple weeks. And so there'll be two places you can read stories, Benzo stories. So um, I like to put those in both places and people can go out and you can even search by keywords in the stories to find somebody had similar medication issues or similar symptoms as you or similar anxiety problems as you. I think it can be a good resource and I hope that works out for everyone. So please send me your stories. You can do that at easinganxiety.com slash feedback. That's probably the best place to do that. You can also send them to me at podcast at benzofree.org if you'd rather send them an email. And now let's move into our feature. Our feature today is different um, than most. It's not just a topic or an interview. It's my thoughts. <laughs> How self-serving is that? I don't know. That's not why I do this. Um, about a year ago, whatever, I took my first road trip and I woke up with those what I call benzo mornings. And those are the mornings that are hard. I still have those. Um, and, I, and I think when I travel, especially when I travel by myself, then it's just me and I, I get alone and I get worried and I ruminate. And I pull out my little digital recorder and I record thoughts. And I talk to you. I, it helps me. It really helps me. And it did on this trip too. A couple of weeks ago, I took a trip to Kansas City to see my family. There's stress that always comes with that, both my family and travel and everything else that happens. And it causes my mind to kick into high gear. And it's a good for me because it's practice to deal with those thoughts. So these are going to be just a series of thoughts that I recorded on that trip. Um, I'll mark them in the chapter listing so you can kind of see where each topic is if you want to go forward to one of those. But, but I hope you enjoy our feature today. Um, if nothing else, just to create that connection with someone else who's been there, who's still there to some degree, and who understands. Let's dive in. Good morning. It's Sunday morning here in Kansas City in the hotel room. Lying in bed, a restless night, not a lot of sleep. Stress, anxiety, negative thoughts. You know, all that good stuff running through the head. I'm not doing this on video. I... I'm laying in bed and I don't really want to set up a camera and turn on a light. Plus, I 
I think sometimes the audio-only stuff is better. A lot of stuff going through the head. Um, anxiety, stress, stuff with seeing family, which is a is a big one for me sometimes. And I, today will be a day full of that. So, you know, I've done a few of these before when I travel. But mornings are hard. And benzo withdrawal are just things that severe anxiety. It's I think it's when our minds start to run free and we have we have more demons in our head as I do this morning. Second guessing myself everywhere. And it kind of gets me down and makes me wonder what I'm doing with my life again. Which is a pattern for me. So I'm here talking with you. It's what I do. I can kind of connect, but sometimes it's good to be back to basics. And that's one of the reasons I think I'm not doing video right here is I don't even know what I'm showing on the screen right now, if I am. Maybe just some images of nature or something, I don't know. But I think even sometimes being off video and just on this audio, it's a bit more intimate. It's a bit more connected. Damn, I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just figuring this stuff out. I really am, and I make a lot of mistakes. And I'm learning the best I can, but I don't always make the right turns. Because I know so many of you have been there too. Or are there right now listening to this. Feeling isolated. Feeling completely alone as I am right now. I'll be honest, being away from my wife is hard. We're together all the time, and as many of you know, when you go on a trip or leave that person for a while, there's anxiety. There's anxiety about what if something went wrong or something happened and I couldn't get back to her if she needed me. Or if something happened to me or I had a heart attack in the middle of the night or... Or I got the virus and had to quarantine and was stuck here in this hotel room. I think it's just being away from home is hard. But it's good. I gotta do this because the more isolated I get at home, the more I get comfortable with that. And the more anxiety builds, and the more the fear builds, and the more the worry builds when I when I leave. So I wonder how this finds you this morning. I wonder if some of you are listening to this in bed. If you are, I feel for you. I know these mornings or evenings or nights when 
the lights are out and you feel incredibly alone. feel abandoned by the world around you that by the medical establishment for those of you who are on benzos and can't find help I don't think there's a lot of things that are worse than feeling truly and utterly alone and many of you are just in that state all the time my heart goes out to you. Oh, I'm probably procrastinating now. Oh, don't know if you heard a background noise kick in. It's a refrigerator in my hotel room. I'm staying at one of these, you know, small extended stay hotel rooms that, you know, are a mini kitchen, bathroom, and you know, bed all in one room, you know. <laughs> uh, but it allows me to... They're a little less expensive some of the other ones. And it's a place I can hunker down when I'm in town. And um, I never really elaborated on it much, but when I see my family, I, I stay in a hotel. Maybe it tells you something that I, I have to stay in a hotel when I come here. But it's not always well accepted. I don't know. I think it gives me... It gives me a space. It gives me my space. And at the end of the night, I can come here and I can decompress. I can sleep. I can... My mornings are my own. I can get up and... Not have to face people right away but have my quiet time to myself. That's my introverted side coming out. And my quiet time with you. Even the most extroverted person, I think, needs that. Like I shared with you a while back that I always thought I was extroverted, but then a counselor told me one time that she believed I was introverted. Because she asked me, where do I re-energize? And I re-energize by myself. And I see it now. I have a lot of extroverted tendencies as, you, tendencies, as you well know, but I'm an introverted person. I don't know. There's a lot I don't know. You know, that's what I've... I've often thought that the three... The three most intelligent words ever spoken... Or just that. I don't know. Because what can we really know anyway? This whole world is perception of ours, of what we think is happening. We, we have filters and mental filters and baggage and all kinds of stuff that get in the way of how we perceive something that's happening. With the internet now, we get information from the left, from the right, from the middle, from the up, from the down. <laughs> and we don't know what to believe. How can we know anything? Except maybe ourselves. And even then, that can be a difficult one to, to learn, to focus on, to connect to.
Many of us are very detached from ourselves. I know I was and still am many times. But I'm learning to be a little more connected to myself. Spend more time inside looking for who I am, what I feel, where my emotions lead me, whether they're this direction or that, or, or and learning that they're just emotions and I can let them come and I can let them go. I can even enjoy them sometimes. But this doesn't happen overnight. I know because I've been working on it for years. <laughs> Trying not to let those emotions control me. Try not to let the baggage win. Try not to let the our histories dictate our futures. Oh, I don't know. For those of you still really struggling with withdrawal from benzos, or for those of you really struggling in the dark stages of anxiety and chronic anxiety and fear, just permeating every every corner of your body. I hear you. I'm with you. I still have those moments too. Thank God though, there are more moments now than chronic and that's that's a big gain for me that's a big gain. you know benzo withdrawal i've said that many times is trial and error because each one of us is so different so different that and it's such a different experience and even if you haven't taken benzos and you're dealing with your anxiety it's, it's unique to you, where it comes from, what your triggers are, how you've managed, what tools you had that you developed yourself to figure this out, because you have. You hadn't gotten here this far if you hadn't. Twenty twenty's been a bitch. But everything has a silver lining. Everything. And sometimes we got to dig deep and find it. Oh, those are my thoughts. I don't know. Don't know if they make sense to you, but I am going to go now and uh, get a little exercise and get out of this bed. So, uh, I hope you all are doing well. I just said that, didn't I? Wow. Okay. I can, <laughs> can not only ramble on when I'm talking about things, but when I'm trying to close out, I've noticed my closings on these videos can last three, four minutes. <laughs> I've always tried to think of something else to say or just don't want to or I just don't want to stop talking to you. I I I enjoyed this. Um I guess it's kind of my own personal, you know, audio log. I go, what is an audio log? A blog is written or is it also audio? A vlog is video. What's an audio log? I don't know. Somebody'll tell me. Anyway, see there I go. I can just keep talking and talking and talking. <laughs> I'll let you go. Talk to you soon. Hey everyone, it's D. I, I keep saying that, I think it's a habit. Um, it's Monday evening. 
Um, back in my hotel room in Kansas City. Probably gonna head out tomorrow for some stuff, but I wanted to record with you now because um, it's a rough day, anxious day, and I think sometimes those are the best days to talk with you all. Uh, I kind of wish you were here to talk me down <laughs> from things. Uh, I know it's good to share with you that I still get worked up, and th I mean that hasn't changed. I get triggered. Um, I kind of alluded that working with my family can be difficult sometimes, and there's stuff that goes on. And also, my folks like to watch news a lot, and I don't like watch news at all. And of course, those can be triggers for me, and still are, somewhat. Although I'm getting a little better at it. But throughout the day, that piles on, and my mind starts to kick into high gear. Anxiety builds. I start to feel that tension. I start to feel the energy. I want desperately to get out of there and just get off by myself so bad. Just have that isolation so I can bring myself down and, and find some peace, some inner peace somewhere. I don't know that I handle things well. I don't think I do most of the time. God, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just me. I mean, I screw up a lot. I do make a lot of mistakes and I, and I'm not very good at this. And I'm, I have a condition <laughs> called anxiety. <laughs> Some of it I've had my whole life. Some of it has been escalated significantly from Depends that I has to be withdrawal, but it's part of who I am. Some of it's good, but a lot of it is bad. And I wind up getting into difficult places, as many of you know. Strange, I'm laying here in the hotel room and watching the sun setting. Usually I talk to you in the morning. Because that's often where I struggle the most. But tonight I'm talking to you in the evening because that's where I'm struggling now. This anxiety is a very lonely business. A very lonely business. And maybe that's something we, together, we can change. Benzo withdrawal is a very lonely business. All this stuff is. Mental health issues is a very lonely business. Few things make you feel more isolated than psychological difficulties. Because nobody knows the crazy that's in your head. Nobody gets that, really understands it. Even somebody who's having that too doesn't know you're crazy. And I'm not using crazy as a uh, derogatory term at all. It's just a term, okay? <laughs> oh, I, it's, it's so hard for me to talk these days because anything I say can be taken wrong. 
And I'm not trying to do that. And I'm trying to be more careful. But we can feel really alone. I have a wife who I love incredibly much and loves me. And we've been great partners for 24 years now. And I hope another 24 plus will be coming along. We're, we're doing good. But she doesn't know. She gets little tinges of anxiety and every now and then, especially with COVID, she started to feel some of the anxiety. And it scared her. And I understood, I think, to some degree and could help her through it. I became the, the calm one for a little bit when COVID hit. But she's gotten through that and is back to more of her normal self now. And it's good to see that. But for so many of us, including myself, it's chronic and it's always with us. It's always lurking out there in the bushes, you know, just watching us as we go on our lives and is just waiting for us to screw up, you know, let our guard down or make a mistake so it can attack. Anything that can trigger that anxiety, whatever that thing is that you led into your mind that sets you off. I don't know how to take care of that loneliness. I don't know how. I'm hoping the podcast here and the easing anxiety channel and whatever helps. I'm hoping it does. But it only helps a little. I know that. So you turn it off, you're back to being alone. Lay, laying here in bed is perfect because I got the lights off and I'm just talking and just watching the sunset. I don't really see the sun, but I can see the colors shifting, you know, on the horizon out the window. But it's just, those are the really lonely times. Even if you have somebody lying next to you, and can reach over and touch them. Boy, that's great comfort and that's awesome. And for those of you who don't have that, I know it's it's 10 times worse. But even if we do have that, in your mind, you're still alone. We're still reaching out, struggling to find that connection as humans. I think it's just innate. It's just this powerful need to truly connect with someone. And yet we do so many things to keep us from connecting. We judge people so quickly and often push away the people that might have been that connection. And we do that out of fear. We say we do it out of standards or choice or protection, but all that ties back often to fear. The only way we can get that connection or some semblance of that connection is to take those chances. To take those chances when we can be vulnerable. That's a hard thing for so many of us. Both genders have trouble with that. And, and I'm not saying just both genders again. I'm talking about anybody. If you're in between genders, I'm not excluding anybody here. 
but I'm saying, you know, traditionally men and women have difficulty. Women are often more open and often more communicative and can develop those closer ties, I think, more innately than men. There's some women that can't. There's a lot of men that can naturally too. I'm just saying there's some stereotypical behavior from the genders that seems to fit that. For men, we're often more stoic, um, which is great for a lot of situations. I'm not putting that down because stoicism actually helps us in critical situations. And that's where that comes good. But it also distances us. It distances us from people. Male, female, in, in between, whatever, so many of us go through life distant. And I have good friends that are that way who just keep pushing away people and are miserable. And I do it too. I don't know. I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I think for some of us, it's low self-esteem. Why would anybody like me? I have that. I know. I do a podcast, and but I couldn't do this podcast if I really cared that every single person out there liked me. Although, I kind of do. <laughs> I kind of want that. But I couldn't do this podcast if I wasn't prepared and okay with somebody coming back with some harsh words. And it happens now and then. But not that often, which is pretty cool. But by putting myself out there, you, who I've connected with, because we have similarities in what we're dealing with, those connections are priceless. And I feel a little less alone. You make me feel a little less alone. My wife gives me so much, but she doesn't quite connect to me on my struggles with anxiety. I get that from you. It takes a team. It really does. One person is not ever, one person is never going to fill you with what you need. In fact, nobody's ever going to fill you with what you need. That comes from inside. But we still need people. Yes, your joy and your satisfaction and your outlook, it comes from you and you are your true happiness. But we're still social creatures. And we need others. And so when I think they can't totally connect with us, when they, people in our lives, especially like family or extended family or friends, just don't get what we're going through, then we keep trying. And we can try so hard that we push them away because they're so tired of hearing it. And I get it. I've been on the other side where somebody just can't stop talking about this problem or this thing in their head or this breakup they had. Or, you know, some people, we sometimes get caught in that loop and we can be difficult to be around. And we have to see that, understand that, and find some way to temper things. Otherwise, we'll push everyone away. And then we're back to being alone again. And we're back to being alone. Laying here in a hotel room, I can feel the aloneness. 
It's funny, it's just me and this technology of a digital recorder. And voices in the hall, which I don't know if you're picking them up, but I'm hearing them. But I feel a little better. I feel a little better now talking to you. This helps. This connection. And I know some of you have said by reaching out to me and corresponding with you felt a little less alone. Wow. Can I just die now and be happy? Because what are we really here for? I mean, if you can help somebody else through a difficult thing like severe anxiety or benzo withdrawal or mental health difficulties or depression, and you're part of why they're doing better, wow, I'm golden. That's pretty cool. And some of you have shared that with me. And I've shared that with some of you because you have helped me too. I don't know. I honestly don't know where easing anxiety is going to wind up. I don't know where the podcast is going to wind up. I don't know where I'm going to wind up for sure. But you gotta enjoy the ride. And not let ourselves get in the way. It's a lonely ride, though. And unless you can work with yourself, connect with yourself, find ways to manage those things that set you off inside yourself, it's going to be a pretty difficult road. I know. I've been living it for a long time. But I'm doing a little better. I'm feeling a little less alone. Well, till tonight. <laughs> and now I'm struggling. But even now I'm feeling a little less alone than I was 20 minutes ago. Because you're there. You're with me. That's weird. Is that weird? Is that, are you thinking that's weird? Am I creeping you out? God, I hope I'm not. I hope I'm not, because that's not where this is coming from. But you're with me. I have your voices in my head through the emails and everything, and I'm hearing some of your advice and some of your counsel and some of your sympathy and some of your love. And it gets me through. And if I can even do 1% of that for you, then we're doing something right. Tell me what you think. Maybe this works. Maybe it's a nightmare and, we'll, <laughs> and I'll lose more subscribers and I'm going to lose my audience quickly. And if it is, that's... Okay, because I will learn from it, and I will do something different next time. This whole damn thing is trial and error for me, 
as is living with anxiety. I think the primary secret there is just keep trying. Giving up, for me, is not an option. It's just not an option. And I hope it's not for you. And if we're not giving up, then we got to keep trying. And maybe, just like I have, we can start to chip away at this thing and make our lives a little better each step of the way. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you got something out of that. I hope there was a connection there. Um, I edited that down. There was far more content than what I included. But I think those work sometimes. I, let me know what you think. I'm really curious to hear your feedback. Now, before we move on to our moment of peace, give me just 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical, health, or psychological advice, nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. For those of you watching this video on YouTube, I'll insert some nice calming images here for your enjoyment. Today we are going to focus on a Sanskrit mantra. It's from one of the guided meditation tapes that I listen to constantly during my withdrawal. This one is from Deepak Chopra, and I thought I'd share it here with you today. The mantra for today is simply Sat Chit Ananda, which loosely translates as existence, consciousness, and bliss. This mantra speaks to me because of its simplicity. Sometimes returning to our inner core to find peace is the best remedy for this crazy world around us. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. 
one more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally. And repeat your mantra with each breath. Sat Chit Ananda. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your mantra. Continue to do this for one minute. Our next scheduled episode is episode 72, and it will be released on December 1st. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let us know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.